0: Welcome to the Tone Duff Sessions, hosted by Bruce Duff, author of The Smell of Death, musician, producer, and artist manager. The conversations are recorded at Tone Duff Studio in Hollywood, California, and are a feature of Rare Bird Radio.
1: Uh, We're here at the Tone Duff Sessions uh, with Anna Biller. Anna, not Anna, correct? I heard you say that when you you showed up. Uh, If you're unfamiliar, which shame on you, Anna is a, I don't even want to say a film director. She is a filmmaker, as we'll learn. She gets into every aspect of everything you see and hear on the screen and uh, paints a total sensory picture for you uh, with her imagination and talent. Her latest endeavor is a movie we watched again last night. It's on Netflix. Make sure you check it out. It's also on, on demand. It's called The Love Witch. And it's uh, it's unlike anything else out there right now. And I I can't recommend it enough. We loved it. I'm sure you will too. Say hi to everybody there, Anna.
0: Hi, everyone.
1: There you go. Um, do you do a lot of this kind of stuff? Like uh, interviews where you're actually recorded and podcasts and all that kind of good stuff? Yeah,
0: I do, I do podcasts from time to time.
1: All right, how do you like them?
0: I do, I like them. Yeah. I like talking to people.
1: It's, uh, it's such a new weird little thing. It's funny how many there are, and, you know, I I sometimes wonder if we're reaching anybody, and then I look at the numbers, and I see that we, in fact, are. Um, so, so great. Um, i got to tell you, my, my introduction to The Love which I went and saw the Stooges movie, and it was at the Lemley, and it showed, uh, like, one dreary, uh, you know, preview to a indie film after another, I was like, man. And then yours came on, and the whole theater just lit up. Oh, and, like, really? I heard the people behind me go, why are we not seeing this instead? And I thought, when I saw it, like, this is... Because, you know, when the 80s hit and the VHS boom happened, you know, at my age, I really dug back into all the 60s and 70s stuff that was, like, kind of either at the drive-in and I was too young to go to or it was rated X or whatever the heck. And all this stuff I missed... I got way deep into that when it was became available at the store. I figured somehow this was a lost gem, that, and I was like, how did I miss this? And I went home and looked it up, I go, oh, my God, it's a new movie <laughs> that just came out, and it, it blew my mind. So, obviously, you were trying to to capture uh, an older aesthetic there. What, what First off, how did The Love Witch come into your brain, and you start to develop it, and then, you know, sort of how did you get into the the, the overall look of it?
0: Well, The Love which came from my interest in uh, creating kind of a women's cinema with strong female characters, and, um, y- you know, I, I like the idea of, of creating a, a character that was a witch. And I was looking at some of those pulp novel covers from the 60s and 70s that had these great covers with witches on them, and I thought that was an incredible world to go into. So I just, uh, I just made up the story from pretty much from my own life experience with men.
1: <laughs> I mean, is there, were there any, because I was trying to think of this myself, were there any movies from the past involving... Uh, a lead witch character that inspired you, but I can't really think of any.
0: Yeah, not re- well not really, not specifically. What I did when I decided to make a movie about a witch was that I went and looked for all the witch movies that I could possibly find, and I didn't find a similar movie, not really. I think the most similar movie I found was this movie called La Strega in Amore, directed by Damiano Damiani. From, I think it was like 1967. Well, I've never really heard of that. was a interesting movie. There's only a really bad print available, so that was interesting. That was about a witch who was a femme fatale. tall, but it was like um, y- you know, I you know, Bell Book and Candle. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I guess that's probably the most similar in terms of story, even though that's a comedy. Um, it's about a you know, an alluring witch, um, but but mainly it comes more from noir films. Actually, those kinds of characters. That's like a, a sort of a man-eating female who you know uh, uses her seductive techniques to to bend a band to her will it comes more from the pre-code films and the noir films the story comes more from that okay but the um the types of visuals are are very 60s um you know and that was not really inspired by movies either but it was more inspired by real rich um rituals from the 60s that i you know alex sanders maxine sanders there were some witches in the uk and from Anton LaVey and, and from um, actually the way witches now practice. They do a lot of theatrical things with robes and costumes and, and, and um, altars and things like that.
1: Well, I was going to ask, uh, the sort of ceremonial and uh, you know, spell type information in the film seemed unusually authentic. And, like, really well-researched. And I guess you, what you're talking about with Levee and everything, you sort of dug into it
0: that <coughs> just to
1: find out what it was all about.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I read lots and lots of books. Um, and I also went to some rituals, and I talked to some friends who are witches. So I did a lot of research on um, on the witchcraft aspects. Because, you know, witches are just people you know. They're just people who practice that as their religion, you know, other than some other religion. And they have their... You know, they have their objects and their altars and their, and their covens and their, their things that they do. And so I just made it just a little bit more um, visual than a lot of rituals are. I've been to some rituals where they have a kind of pathetic altar, you know. <laughs> um, or, you know, some, some witches have bigger events and ceremonies and they have a more spectacular. But it's not really, um, that's not really 60s. That's kind of like how witches still practice.
1: Right, well no, but I, I'm not saying that because obviously the movie takes place now
0: Yeah, that does, yeah uh, But it's so, just kind
1: of the film look of it
0: Yeah, well the film look comes from the lighting and and because uh, people still shoot on film but you don't think about it as being retro looking People, you know, there, there are some movies that are still shot on film and you wouldn't necessarily know which ones are shot on film and which ones aren't but this one looks old fashioned because of the lighting It's a kind of a a hot, hard lighting.
1: It's very saturated. It reminds me a lot of the Italian guys.
0: Yeah, it's a hot, hard lighting that people stopped doing some, sometime in the 70s or the 80s. So just, DPs just stopped doing it. And it's just, why did they stop doing it? There's no reason, except that the aesthetics changed. So people, what people wanted to see was more, they wanted to see things that were more, documentary-like, more naturalistic, and right. there's less light, and I think that what happened is that in all the film schools, they started teaching lighting in a different way, so that nobody learned how to do this type of lighting. Also, the lights that are available to rent, um, you know, a lot of them are the new f- light fluorescents, um, which are, you know, easier to use, and they take up a lot less energy, and you don't have to get a generator. So, just it's just easier, quicker, uh, you know, cheaper.
1: Is it difficult to find those kind of lights to make it, to Not make it work Not at all. Like that? I mean,
0: here we are in Hollywood. There are just like warehouses piled with <laughs> with these, t- these beautiful iron and tungsten Fresnel lights that nobody is using. Like I mean, you would
1: use in a theater even back in the day, right?
0: Like, like they still use in theaters. Okay. Like they still use in theaters. Yeah. Beautiful lights. And, they, and they're, they're hot. They're extremely hot. So people don't like to use them anymore because they, they're so hot. <laughs> they're so heavy. They take up so much power, they're not energy efficient, but the way they look is really different. I mean, they really make colors pop. And it's not just it's, 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 it's uh, not just the fact that there's more light, it's also the fact that they're directional lights, they're hard, they're focused. they're spotlights. And, and you, you have to use a great number of them to get the kind of look that we got. So what you do is you blast the set with light, but then you paint the shadows in with flags and scrims and nets. And that's just what makes everything pop. It makes the color pop.
1: Wow, um, well, it, it's super effective. And I think you did more or less the same kind of approach on Viva as well. I
0: did, I've, and I, was, I did it for my short film. So what happened was when I first started making films, I realized the very first thing I ever shot that I really hated the way the DP lit it. And I, I just thought, I just what's wrong with this image? And I realized it was the lighting. <clears throat> so I started studying lighting, trying to figure out why what type of lighting do I like? Because you know, I was in school and I was shooting on 16 millimeter and I was working for $10 an hour. <laughs> and it was really expensive for me to shoot on film. I mean, it was, it was horrifying to have to waste a whole day of footage because someone didn't light it right. So from then on, I, I was really c- very controlling about trying to get this lighting I liked. And in those days, like the school that I went to, CalArts, they, they, that's the kind of lights they had. They had those hard lights. They were old lights that they had, you know, sure. that you could check out. And so I was using those and experimenting with them. And so when, uh, and at that time, most people were already opting for not using any lights or using soft lights, you know. Um, but I just didn't like it.
1: Did you get pushback from your professors or however that would work?
0: No, like, were they no,
1: encouraging of it?
0: No, because I was mainly in art school there. And just people liked how weird it was what I was doing.
1: So, oh, wait. So then you were taking film as sort of a sideline or well, just what using is, film gear that they had?
0: Well, what happened is I went there for art school. Mm-hmm. And then I applied to be what's called inter-school so I could use the film equipment. I see. So so then... Uh, but most of my teachers and my mentors were in the art school. And but, they just liked it. They thought it was, like, really cool and interesting, you know.
1: Did you get into... Uh, you know, art in general? Uh, the, was the first thing music,
0: really? No, I, I went... To, when I did my undergraduate, I did in art.
1: Now, I mean, what did you... As a kid, what did you do? Oh, as of... a
0: kid, I wanted to be a writer. Oh. And then I got into acting in high school. And then, so I went to UCLA for drama. And then after one quarter, I, just, I realized that it wasn't for me to be an actor. I that I really wanted to be a director. So at UCLA, you couldn't be a director in your first year. You had to go you could only go into um, film in your third year. So I thought, I want to stay in the art part. I'm going to stay in the fine arts school because the requirements are different. Like the, kind of, the number of, you don't have to take very much math and science when you're an art student, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, you get to take more art classes. So I'm going to hang around in fine arts. I'll, I'll do drawing and painting until I can go into film. But I liked it. I liked the art, so I stayed there.
1: When did you uh, start playing music?
0: Oh, I you know I took piano lessons as a kid, and I've always tinkered around with composing and stuff like that. I mean, so that you, was just a hobby. But it seems
1: like you you got it pretty figured out. I mean, the the music I hear that you've done in in the movies is is pretty realized. I mean, well, very realized.
0: No, I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> I don't know a lot. I don't really still know a lot of music theory. I I tried to take some harmony classes. And I took an orchestration class at college that was way over my head, and I just. I'm kind of just do it by ear, you know. I'm not. I'm not very sophisticated.
1: But you arrange it, so obviously you're giving other players stuff to do. So
0: well, that's because you know you have this finale software, and you can hear what the instruments are. You can audition the instruments. And before I did that, when I was trying to do um, write for ensembles. Uh, before I have that software there's no way I could do it because I just don't know enough about the sounds of the Is that orchestra. A type
1: of thing where you play it out and it tur- the midi puts it into yeah, the, the MIDI, notes? Okay, yeah, yeah the midi plays it so you those. can kind
0: of actually hear uh, When you're making mistakes you can also hear what the different textures sound like mm-hmm. and you can also hear when something is played out of range You know because I used to try to compose without that software I you know, it would always be like and you know without that software you know it's so painful because um instruments don't play where they sound you know about that right like, like yeah. you have to write the trumpets like you know what I mean it's like yeah it's, somebody will look like, so at
1: it and go wait a minute this isn't gonna no, work you have
0: to transpose everything yeah. and I just wasn't a good enough musician without, I didn't have enough musical training to be able to write for orchestra so I learned but I learned how to write for heart because it's not that different from piano and I play piano and there's just certain things like you don't write for five fingers you write for four you know just little things like that you have to know it's you not, learn like, it's as you not go that, it's not that complicated yeah but um but yeah i mean i i you know i don't consider myself a composer really
1: well it's a hobby. I mean, yeah okay fair <laughs> enough i mean and, and i noticed there was a lot of uh, a lot of the cool italian guys music in, in um, the yeah. film. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, that yeah. was mostly what I did, was used uh, Ennio Morricone's um, soundtracks, and, and Piccioni, and some yeah. of the great Italian... Covers. Those
1: other guys aren't as well-known. Uh, I, when I worked at Triple uh, X Records, we actually put out uh, our... We had a guy there that... Uh, uh, it, he was Italian, he was just obsessed with this stuff, and he actually compiled a record of uh, Italian film composers. Uh, which was weird for a little indie rock label to do, but it was a cool record. Oh,
0: yeah. I love those comp- I love Piccioni. I used yeah. a lot of Piccioni in my film, Viva.
1: Now, how, is that stuff easy to license, even though it's been in other movies? I don't know how that works.
0: Well, with, with the Morricone, I thought it might be hard to license, but I, I did it anyway, and it turned out it was okay. Um... But you, what I figured was I, I was using such early tracks. I wasn't trying to use famous tracks. Right, yeah, it didn't you know, pop from, out at me as stuff the, I recognized. Yeah, from from the famous movies. I was using stuff from extremely obscure movies that probably no one's ever seen. Actually, I've never seen those movies either. I just, I just like the music.
1: How did you find the music? I,
0: fa- I found the music on. because I started looking, I started realizing that Marconi had the sound I wanted for this movie his songs are a little different than other people's songs it was a little bit more ethereal and occult sounding and so I wanted his sound for this movie so I started looking up old vinyl um, I didn't buy it but I wrote down all the track numbers because on iTunes if you look up Morricone those tracks never come up the only the famous tracks come up so I type in the actual tracks from the vinyl and then I would start to find these compilations oh Interesting. And, um, yeah, so I did this kind of research. So I would find the really obscure, uh, the really obscure soundtracks and the really obscure movies that way, and I would just download them on iTunes and audition, audition those tracks. And some of them even had, and not the ones that I used, but they had tracks called like Black Magic and stuff. So this was written for you know occult psychedelic types of uh-huh. um, situations in these movies. There was one movie that I bought and I couldn't actually get through it because I thought it was so bad. These movies are very low budget and um, very, very crude. So the music is much better than the movies that they were in. Interesting. Yeah.
1: See, I didn't know that. Because I would think, if, you know, if you had that level of a guy
0: no, doing, was, the,
1: doing the music, it was probably a pretty decent film. He was
0: just, no, he was just extremely, extremely talented. And um, those were some of his, the first work he did, he probably was paid almost nothing for those tracks to begin with. So I thought, well, here's a chance for him to make a little bit more more money on those on, those, oh, okay. on that music he worked so hard on, which he probably never really made any money on. Yeah.
1: So when, when you start a film like, well, particularly this one, I, from what I understand, the sort of ramp-up time of preparing sets and costumes and working with Samantha, your lead actress, and all that stuff, it must have been like six years or something.
0: Yeah, it was like seven years.
1: <laughs> that, that, and I mean, when we the... say that, that's before the cameras are rolling.
0: Yeah, no, no, that's the whole, that's total. But um so, you know, it was, about, it was about five years of prep for this movie, but some of that time I was, I was actually quite ill, so that slowed me down. Oh, I, I no. worked all through it, but I was, I was like at half speed for a couple of years. Or oh, dear. Or less than half speed. So, but also the script was tricky for me this time. I don't know why. But some scripts, you know, they just kind of write themselves, and other scripts are really tricky. And this well, one you was rewrote hard.
1: this one a few times, right? I
0: rewrote it a lot, and I think it was because I had a conflict between two types of movie that I wanted to make. And one type was this almost documentary about witchcraft. (laughs) And the other movie was this movie about a woman who has problems with the men in her life. And so I decided when I when it started to work better is when I decided to, like, throw out the witchcraft plot and just go more with the story about the woman. Um, You know, so that was it was more like I was didn't have room for everything that I wanted.
1: Do you look at it? You know I, I guess this is just your opinion, depending on what you were thinking about when you made the movie. But do you look at it as sort of uh, the witchcraft is almost a crutch for her, and she had the ability to hook these men with just just being herself?
0: Of course, all that's the time? What I, I mean, that's one of the that's one of the um, that's one of the ironies of the movie is that she didn't need witchcraft to hook these men, um, but also she didn't need witchcraft for them to fall apart either. So. Um,
1: no, that's and she explain
0: well she expi- well she explains what witchcraft is in the movie. She explains it at the end. She says first the first time she explains it, she says that witchcraft is just using your will to get what you want, which comes from Alistair Crowley. Sure. You know. And then at the end she says, um which you you can only work with the energy that's already there, it's just a way of concentrating energy and this is how witches think of it as well, so it's not some, some, you know, so the special magic that comes from the universe is the magic that you project, that you create in yourself, so seduction, her magic of seduction is her concentrating everything in her being into being the most alluring woman alive, it's not through, it's not through an actual like Mystical spell that comes from the but God, it, that's you know, sort of, So this is her. But that's what magic is.
1: Well, that's what all religion is, really. Yeah, you're right. concentrating your thought and faith through something that, right? You know, so than, light, things work out like you want.
0: So rather than yeah, so, so so rather than going out in the world and saying, you know, being distracted by the million things that we're distracted by, she goes out in the world saying, "I'm going to get a man." And, of course, she's looking for a man, she's looking around, she's trying to see if she spots a man, if she can get a man's attention, and, of course, she's beautiful, you know, she's all dolled up, and she's in the park, and she stares at this man until he comes towards her. Now, that, you don't need, I mean, she's so attractive, if she stares at a man with that kind of intent, he's going to walk towards her, that doesn't, that, you know, any woman that attractive will, will have that response. So <laughs> yes, so she yes I mean another. so that's her I mean so that's part you know that's that's the magic that works for her, that's the type of magic that works for her. Um, somebody who is less attractive might have to resort more to subterfuge or to games that were much more psychological, but she can just do it through appearance yeah, in her in her looking
1: so uh, other things that you you were involved with that to me is pretty amazing, uh, in particular was the costuming and and the set design. Because it is such a visual explosion of a movie. And and another thing that's been pointed out elsewhere, and I I have to agree, is that Samantha does not... You know, when you go, it's a witch movie, and then you see how she's, you know, super colorful and bright, and the outfits are really pop, it's not what you think of, you know, in the cliché, you know, head-to-toe black thing that you think of as a witch.
0: Yeah, I put her in head-to-toe black a couple times, (laughs) you know. When she's, when she's ensnaring her victims, she's wearing black. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's a girl. So again, th- this comes from me trying to make it like a real story set in a real, a plausible universe, which is that witches are women, are girls and women. And, you know, uh, how they do their witchcraft is they project things out onto the world, project, project an energy out. And um, she's not goth, she's, so she's not going to be wearing all black all the time. Right. She just wears the outfits that she likes, the cute, sort of cute outfits. Um,
1: and that was a, obviously a decision right off the bat that we're not, we're not taking it, you know, into Sisters of Mercy Land or anything like that. We're going to steer clear of all that kind of cliche stuff.
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, I, when I'm dressing people, I try to think about the character. You know, and I saw Elaine as a girl with a lot of style who likes to um, look good and she puts a lot of energy into the world she creates around herself, you know, into her clothes and makeup and her hair and everything and she's very put together. But also just really it's not, it's not um, 100% about, you know, uh, creating a genre, you know, that's a witch genre so she always looks like a witch. It's again, it's about creating character. Mm -hmm. And, um so
1: and i I think i read somewhere that the uh, ceremonial rug you were looking around for something like that and it i just can't find one so you made it yourself yeah it took took you forever yeah i didn't
0: know how long it was going to take you know i'm used to crafting and sewing and making things and i like to do things like um knitting and crochet i like to do crafts it's fun for me so i just thought oh you know i'll just make this rug and i I bought some books on rug hooking, and it seemed really easy. And it is easy if you're making something small. Yeah, but this is like it was really it was six feet. Yeah, it was six feet, and it was really um, it really it was really extremely time consuming to make. But um, but you know I didn't mind it. I just would do it in the evenings while I was watching television and relaxing. I
1: assume it's in your living room now.
0: Um, no.
1: (laughs) What do you do with it?
0: It's in the chest right now.
1: Oh, you need to have it out. Well,
0: I don't want my cat to ruin it.
1: Ah, yes, those those. He's going to ta- get
0: his claws into yeah. it and skin it all snared. Yeah, that,
1: could, that I, I feel you. Um, <laughs> well, uh, another question I have, and, you know, feel free to say I'm not answering that because it's none of your business, which is, which is fair. But I, we, we delve into these kind of things a lot on, on this because uh, a lot of artists listen, and it's not just about the art itself, but how you get there. So you're working on this film, you got a six-year ramp-up before you even start filming. How do you fund all that time of building and and making stuff and sewing stuff and writing music, just all this prep work? And even like you said, you you worked a year with Samantha just on figuring out the character itself.
0: Yeah, well, you know, that year, again, it was about five years of pre-production, but um, the time I'm working with Samantha, I'm only meeting with her once in a while. You know, it's like I'm mainly still working on props and costumes during that time, but but the funding, you know, I had a private investor, and the problem is that it was very generous amount of money, but the problem, it was not, it wasn't enough money to do my vision. That was that was the situation we were in. So it's like, um, how do I get this thing that's on paper onto the screen for this amount of money? It seemed impossible. So I just kept trying to think. Um, of how I could just get all this stuff together without having to hire designers and get a big army of our department, you know, I just couldn't figure out any other way to do it than just to keep sewing and crafting and you know shopping for furniture and tagging props. And, you know, just doing what I do for the short what I did for my short films because um, it would have doubled the budget to to get the art department done the way it normally is done in a short period of time. I just didn't have. We didn't have the money. We didn't have any money to... You know, pre-production There was no money, really. It was just... I had... It was money for, like, fabric. (laughs) Yarn. And they're just... You know, people are what eat up all the money. People.
1: Well, I mean... You
0: know? So like my little stipend uh, is nothing, I, you know, I make less, you know, I made less than a PA for directing, designing, editing this movie. I made less than, I made like half the amount, quart, well, you know, a fraction of the amount that a PA that's made. That's also so, kind of what
1: I meant because during that um, time not only do you have to buy materials, you have to eat. And you know, pay right. rent
0: well, and, you know, and that kind of stuff. Well, you know, all I'll say is I've, I've always depended on the kindness of strangers. All right. No, well, enough. I have you know, I have a boyfriend who, who's got money and I, and, I, and he's pays a mortgage. So I've just you know what I mean. So I feel very privileged, okay. that I have people helping me. And if I didn't, I would just never be able to do anything like that. And
1: I wrote his name down because that I I popped up he popped up yesterday and I was very Robert Green. Uh, is an author. And yeah. a, a very anyone listening to this, look him up because it's a, a fascinating story as well. He writes all these books about mm-hmm. power and seduction mm-hmm. and control, people control, sort of.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, which yes, are not it's... always the most popular with certain <laughs> facture, factions, yeah. I understand. But yeah. uh, I, I'm just trying to imagine the uh, conversations around the dinner table with the two of you. Like,
0: well, we help each other with our work. And, uh, you know, I edit his books. I do the first passive editing oh he really helps, yeah he helps me with my scripts and with my design okay um so
1: so that's interesting i had no idea
0: yeah and, and you know so we help each other with our ideas and things
1: now um, the other man on the scene is uh, jared sanford yeah. he's been in every one of your movies and he's yeah. produced them all yeah
0: he's a he's a good friend
1: so i mean what what is your partnership how's that work
0: well that's good i mean he's you know he's a very laid-back guy and we um, you know, I've run all my ideas by him as well, and, and he's, he's, he's a really good actor and, you know, just, um, he's very supportive.
1: How'd you guys meet?
0: Uh, well, we met in New York through mutual friends years ago when we were both living in New York. So, and, uh, you yeah, I guess I saw something he'd done, some little piece of uh, filmed theater he'd done before I met him, and I thought, oh, I really want to meet him because I liked his, um, I liked the way he performed, it was unusual. And so, that's how we became friends, is through a mutual interest in theater and performance.
1: And in the actual, uh, you know, production of the movie, what's his role besides his, his acting?
0: Well, Jared's a mysterious guy and he doesn't, want, he doesn't like to get, you know, too involved and talking about himself or having you talk about him. So I'll leave, I'll leave that part. All um, right,
1: mysterious chair. I'll,
0: I'll leave that part mysterious.
1: But I'll, this is an ongoing <laughs> thing, like whatever you're probably yeah. gonna do next. So, uh, you know, you're talking about having to, you know, cut the corners and do everything yourself. This, this movie was something of a hit, right? So mm-hmm. are you in a different position now?
0: I, yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah Have you because... explored
1: that yet? Or are, you still, are you still kind of in promo mode on this, right?
0: Well, I'm, yeah, that's winding down. But I've been meeting with with um, people who are interested in collaborating on my next project. Okay. So And those are people where I think the financing would be a little more healthy.
1: Well, that's a good thing. Now, yeah. so, you know, I, I, <laughs> all <laughs> jokes aside, obviously you're a multi-talented person. One of the talents I wonder if you have is the ability to delegate. So with some dough, would you start... Handing off some things well, for other people to do? And... Well,
0: delegating is something I'm already, uh, you know, I've, I've already had to do quite a bit, you know. And um, it's not easy, you know, delegating. This, the art of delegating is the art of finding the right people to work with, Do you know. And so I'm getting better at that. So, um, But I have not, so far, delegated the design to anybody. So... Uh, figuring out how to work with other designers is something that's new to me like I'd have that would be a new thing
1: So I saw his film on Kubrick and he's another one that spends just awesome amounts of time getting everything ready till it's exactly what he sees in his head but he he got to the point where he would draw stuff out and design it but then somebody else would actually put it together That's
0: what I'd be doing so I'm already doing that
1: okay so For good next
0: film. Do you have yet.
1: something sort of in in your um, head where no, you're going yet? Yeah,
0: no, I have a script. Oh, yeah, okay. I have a script, and I'm and I'm I'm in the beginning stages of um, of of trying to uh, come up with a, a second script, which is the, the the design script, which is all the visuals, you know, the the thing that Kubrick would do or Hitchcock would do, where they would sketch everything out first or get all the photographs or of, of you know references and things, so I'm putting together a look sort of book. like
1: a comic book. The way it looks, well, in a lot way, com- right? no,
0: well, the storyboards are like a comic book.
1: Okay, but the well, the I set, guess that's what I'm thinking. The Set of.
0: design, yeah, the storyboards are like a comic book, so I would do that. But the but the set design thing is different because that's where you actually go, um, you figure out the actual locations and then how to use those, and fit your design within them, which is different than what Hitchcock had because if he he wanted a certain look, he would just build it. Um, where whereas the way we do things nowadays you know you don't build a castle interior um, you do you you go in location and you try to find the right place within the budget. Mm-hmm. it's just it's difficult it's just like a lot of puzzles it's just, making a film sure. is just a lot of little puzzles to solve you know and then so you have to do that before you can design the costumes because what the characters wear is very contingent upon the kinds of spaces that they exist in and the kinds of lines and textures and shapes and colors in those spaces mm-hmm. that will determine the wardrobe
1: uh, so. can you spill the beans at all on what sort of direction we're going in with this movie is it funny serious weird I don't dark? know I
0: never I, I except for um, no I guess Viva you know I knew it was a comedy but I didn't expect love which to be a comedy so I don't think I, I'm, I'm an authority anymore and whether my films are funny because well, there's before, a few laughs in the Love
1: Witch, for sure. <laughs> but there,
0: you know, I don't know if you sat in an audience where people were laughing through the whole thing. But you know, I've sat in audiences like that where people just think the whole thing is a joke, and I, I don't know, I, I don't really understand that reaction. But some people just think it's like it's it's a comedy, which is interesting. Um, but I, you know, I think of it as a drama with a few funny moments. The next one will be like that too. It'll be a drama, but I can't again I can't be 100% certain when I say it's not a comedy because I don't You're know. You're
1: not sure which uh, what instigates the laughs in others. Well, I get it.
0: Well, no, I, I kind of think it'll get laughs as well because it's going to be very gothic, and I think that's what makes people laugh. is melodrama sure. and things that are gothic and over the top and characters that are very extreme and 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 emphatic and you know that are stereotypes of so so, so yeah, so I'm sure well, you know, like people laugh at Douglas Sirk, and I don't. I don't laugh at melodrama. I'm very moved by it, so I don't have the same reaction that other people have to a lot of movies, uh, older movies. You know, you know, I like weep at movies that are the other people laugh at. <laughs> so, so this is a so this is a movie. It's about uh, a psychopathic husband, a blue like a Bluebeard, and it, it's um, inspired by all the noir films in that vein about women who. Um, were married to terrifying husbands and and they had to slowly find out that they were married to a monster gaslight exactly up. gaslight it's
1: one of the one of the big ones
0: that's that's one of the big ones yeah uh
1: okay well that sounds really exciting um at this point in time do you have any kind of timeline figured out i mean it seems like that time is really something you you battle well, uh, here's the thing. What everything would you do? Cha-
0: we'll see. The thing. Everything changes with the kind of funding you get. Of course. So, if I partner with somebody with a different kind of partner, then I'll be under pressure to start shooting this by next year.
1: And is that something you would welcome, or would you rather like hold that at bay and and maintain some of your own control with, you know, crafting um, and uh, sorry, crafting and uh, you know, painting and whatever. Well, have see.
0: The thing again. You know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is at this point because okay. I don't I actually don't haven't so, you know signed with any partners yet, gotcha. so I don't know what they're. But it seems like um, I sh- I'd like to try to be to have a production schedule more like other people if I have more of the funding that other people have. Sure. That's more proportion. If the funding is more proportionate to the scale of the project, it seems like I should be able to shoot in a pace like other people. I mean, I think.
1: Well, and it seems like you've you've done this all very. Methodically, from like, you know, short, another short. You did a play in there where you. I did played, a
0: couple plays. Where you
1: played the cat that looked amazing.
0: <laughs> you know, I've directed other plays too, oh, and okay. I've written other musicals that were never produced, but. Oh. Um,
1: well, would that stuff see the it, light of day now, or?
0: No, no, I don't know. Yeah, now I've it I'd probably write different different musicals. Do now. something different. I try to do something different now. I'm a little more mature.
1: I got gotcha. you. <laughs> well, now it's a... I, I went through the same thing when I was a kid. I stupidly uh, put out a record that I, I had been in, on, and I felt, oh, this has to come out. And it wasn't that good. I, and it ended up costing me a bunch of money I didn't have. Mm-hmm. And I made the decision, all right, if, if I make a record, somebody else pays to put it out or it don't come out. And then I just let it go.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: think that's the thing. I mean, it's, that's a good barometer if you can't get funding or if you can't, maybe it's not, maybe it's just not quite for the public. And just leave it in a chest somewhere.
0: Yeah, that's that's right. I think that's right. Um, no, I wrote this children's musical that I think is. I actually really love it, but I just don't. I just think. Um, I don't know. It, it was a little. It was a little bit naughty. It was really more for adults. So it's just a weird. It's just a, like a weird thing. You know, I think children's stuff is the hardest
1: thing to do of all?
0: Well, it was naughty. It had some naughty bits, which I thought. You know, nobody's going to accept this for their children's theater because it was kind of. Um, Kind of like Shakespearean naughty, like the way Shakespeare's naughty stuff. Mm-hmm. But that stuff isn't. I don't think um, kids aren't going to be doing Shakespeare either. So. No.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, but something like that might definitely catch a niche audience for sure.
0: Oh yeah, it's more weird though. I realized. I mean, when I thought it, when I wrote it, I thought I was doing like children's theater. But then when I, you know, later I realized it's very underground. It's very, you know, it's more Charles Ludlam than it is, you know. <laughs> You know, it's it's a it's a weird underground arty thing that I that I wrote. So I'd probably write something more commercial if I wrote something new.
1: What uh, What are you doing in your spare time when you're not doing all this work? Uh, what kind of movies do you enjoy? Uh, what's fun for you?
0: Well, I do watch a lot of movies, and I mainly watch movies um, that are old movies. You know, movies from the '20s through the '60s or the '7 maybe the '70s but I watch a lot of old movies and I watch a lot of old foreign movies too but I, don't, I generally don't like movies that much that are made after the 70s after the mid after the early 70s Okay. <laughs> and it's because I'm so obsessed with all of the I think all of these aesthetic things in, in, in classic movies they become, they're they sort of comforting to me
1: I mean I know a lot of young guys that are, are the same way uh, with music it's like at a certain point it's like they just cut it off. It was a
0: cutoff, you know, yeah. like 1977 or 6 or something like I mean, that. I mean, I
1: work with these guys, yeah. and they they have these massive record collections, and it's all stuff from when I was in high school. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know any of this, but mm-hmm. where did it come from? Where It's just amazing to me, and they just unearthed it. And there's a lot of people like that they, they zero in on something that it just feels right to them, whether it's not really part of their history. Yeah. It's still what they what I mean, they
0: I watch some, some new movies, but I um, what I... I I watch the older movies not only to enjoy them, but also to learn from them aesthetically. So, you know, I'm always trying to be learning more things, because I I can learn so much about set design and lighting and, you know, just sound design and and about acting and just, um, just about so many things about story. Even about just credits, credit sequences, just, just everything. Everything about the old movies is how I want to make movies. And so I I just want to keep learning and learning and learning. And they kind of go into my subconscious. And so when I create a movie, it's all there, all the movies I've ever seen. And so I'm not specifically copying anything, any era or any type of set or anything in particular. It's just kind of coming out. So when I'm creating a character then I can think, well, she, she I want her to look this way and have this type of room and she's going to have these types of objects. And it doesn't come from one movie or one decade. It's probably coming from like 600 movies. Interesting. All those decisions.
1: Is there anyone uh, Anyone else contemporary that you think has sort of that same aesthetic that you... Oh, this person gets it. I mean, yeah, maybe, I would not know.
0: Yeah, maybe Guy Madden. But he does the tw- more like the silent films, like those 20s. So okay. I'm doing, you know... The '50s and '60s, what he did with the '50s and '60s, what he does in the '20s. Gotcha. Maybe a little bit, um, Todd Haynes, although his stuff is more contemporary looking. He does reference. Yeah. He, with Far from Heaven, he more specifically referenced like the actual lighting and look.
1: Did he do a uh, Velvet Goldmine? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. It looked yeah, so no, amazing. Yeah,
0: he's very talented. So he has a, a kind of, but his his stuff doesn't look like the um, older movies as much as mine do or. Or. um, But in
1: that comes down to the lighting. Mainly, right?
0: Well, like Guy Madden is even much more fetishistic than I am about creating weird sets and objects that are like those German expressionist Mm -hmm. sets. So I'm not really as stylized as him. So he's more extreme in terms of the the artiness of what he does. His stuff is more abstract. And, um, you know, and then I guess Todd Haynes is, is less arty than I am, you know, I'm sort of in the middle, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just, you know, people that are looking towards earlier decades for inspiration. Does the
1: business side of things, which of course we all have to deal with them when, you know, you want to get something going, Um, do they look at this as, or do they tag you with retro, and is that something that's kind of not helpful in terms of just getting financed in it? It wasn't,
0: it hasn't been helpful until now. And now, suddenly, now it's cool. Now suddenly it's very helpful.
1: Okay. <laughs> well, why would you, I mean, is that just a product of having a hit? Or I mean, I how does so, that work? I think
0: so, yeah. It's because obviously if, you, if you're if you not making money doing it, it doesn't matter if you have a cult fan base, you know, studios can only get interested in something that they think is going to make money.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: so you have to show that you have some sort of a mass appeal in order to um, be able to do the same thing again.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, my wife had a question. Uh, she read that you have your own tarot deck coming up. Is this a, is this in production or coming out or how's that work?
0: Well, you know, it's it's kind of um, something I've been batting around, but I I you know I'm I'm not um, I don't know if I'll be doing that.
1: Oh it might not it might not it see the light not, of day. No,
0: because. No, it's a lot of work, you know, it's like, um, I, I, what I would do if I did it is I would commission different artists to do different cards and, um, it's just so much work. I think I need to be working on my next project. What I might do is, is like, just like a few tarot cards, maybe just like not a full deck, but a few, a few cards.
1: Cool. Yeah. She found some artists that she really likes. Um, I'll show you the book later. It's uh, it is pretty cool stuff. I mean, I'm fascinated by it just from, just from the straight art. You know, I mean, it's just such amazing, detailed, beautiful work. Um, and then it has the spiritual overtone, too, which is, is fascinating as well.
0: Yeah, you have to kind of pick where you spend your time, you know? Well, <laughs> I yes. mean, that's like all, you know, that's all so much fun. You know, I'd also love to write more music. and there's a lot of things I'd love to do, but um, I think this... You know, having this new film is, is helping me to focus on just doing, doing the, the, the more the main sure. know, work of being a direct writer-director. Yeah,
1: and you know, the iron's hot, so, <clears> you <throat> know, yeah. rock while it's happening. I think it's a great idea. What would be something that people might not know about you or have a misconception about you based on your films?
0: I don't know. Um,
1: I mean, I think people would guess you're something of a wild woman.
0: Yeah, well, I'm really not.
1: <laughs> so there you go. There's a misconception.
0: But because uh, they're, they're
1: they're they're high energy, pretty against the grain, not normal. I'll tell you
0: what, though, when I was younger, I was pretty wild, and um, when I started getting really serious about being an artist, I stopped being wild, and so I've, ch- I've channeled the wildness into the movies instead of into my life, and that's really helped. It's helped the work and it's also helped my life.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no, I can understand
0: that. You know, because I used to be maybe a little like Elaine. You know, I I was kind of crazy out there, you know, in the world. I was just out there causing destruction in the world, I think. You know, for a while before I figured out um, how to stop doing that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you figured out how to stop being wild. All right. Well, there, there's your like self-help book well, you can uh, put no, out. No,
0: really, because people are wild for a reason. You know, they've got trauma and they're confused about things or they might be treated as, 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 you know, in an unfair way by other people. I think when you're a woman, it's easy to be nuts because you know, all the people that project all these things onto you and all the, um, the crazy things that can happen to you if you're an open sort of person... You know, a lot of the stuff in my life has happened because I'm so open. And it's just—it's a terrible quality to have um, as a young woman, to be very open.
1: you got to be a little protective as well. You
0: have to be... You have to... Yeah. So I, ha- I wasn't careful. I, You know, I hadn't been careful. I'm, you know, I'm an Aquarius. So I love to talk to people. And I'm very trusting. And I love to let people into my life who are a little bit different and odd. And I still do that. I still like to... You know, I still... My boyfriend calls it a menagerie, he says, I have menagerie.
1: Of just all the, you know, just kooks odd, and artists. really and
0: strange, weird, odd people are the people that I have as my friends, and they're, they're very, very different. And so I'll say, oh, you added another person to your menagerie. So usually when I get along with somebody really well, and they really like me as well, and there's a natural, comfortable feeling, that other person is a very, very, you know, objectively pretty strange person. So I think I've, I'm eccentric um, somewhere in my core, And so when I make movies, I'm making movies from a sincere place of how I experience the world, and people think I'm trying to be weird. (laughs) They think I'm trying to be weird, but I'm trying to be actually very serious and very solemn. But, um, this is more, you know, I'm expressing something about my experience. So I, I guess what people wouldn't know is that I'm a very authentic, down-to-earth person.
1: Well, and I think, uh... Weird is in the eye of the beholder. I mean, if you're just presenting something that's not thought of in day-to-day life by most people, then oh, this is kind of an affront to my, you know, to my aesthetic. But when, when really, it's just a different point of view.
0: But I, I also sometimes wonder whether some of the stuff that people think is weird in me is just it's female. Well, I mean, I. <laughs> or, or maybe and sometimes I wonder I mean, if, I, if I'm just weird. If it just is weird, you know. I, like I go back and forth between wondering how much of it has to do with just that most of culture is created by men, or That's how very much, fair. Or, or, or how much of it has to do with no, I you know you actually are weird, you know. So I don't know.
1: No, I think I think it is true. I mean. Men are the gatekeepers all the time. Yeah, they hold the checkbooks most of the time.
0: So, so here, so here's the thing about the love witch is that women don't think of it as weird. So this is a, a situation where it really is really, really is a gender divide in which women are watching it, and they they find every decision in the film not all women, but you know a lot of women, majority of women find every decision logical. They understand everything that happens to the character, why it happens. Um, why it is why the movie is the way it is and it seems logical to them as a as a movie. Whereas men are going, This is bonkers and you know, most men think this is bonkers. It makes no sense. It has no story. It has no plot. It's not about anything. It's just about style. It's a prestige. Well, so wait, it's a are copy. you saying
1: that you feel like uh, you lose a lot of guys in the movie uh, during the course of the film? No,
0: they like it because I've got you know nudity and and sex and spectacle and color. You know they like it for that, but they don't. They don't think it's got a story. They don't think it's about anything. So what I'm saying is that there huh. is this. There is this kind of, and I'm not saying all men because some men actually do really deeply understand it, but. Um, It's like a small percentage of men who actually understand the movie rather than just being entertained by it as a spectacle. And it's a large majority of women who actually understand it. Now, these are women from all backgrounds, all ages. But it's mainly younger women who actually, their experience in life is like Elaine's. Mm -hmm. You know, they're being objectified and, and and everything is absurd. So it's kind of like people think my films are absurd. But it's because being a woman, going through your life is absurd, like the way you're treated. And this is what my movies are about. They're about that experience. And they're very specifically, deliberately, deliberately ab- about how absurd it is to be a woman. I have all these projections, all these expectations, all these demands put on you that are so ridiculous all the time and having to navigate that. And so Elaine is a character who's been driven a little bit nuts by having it to get, navigate that. And women understand that usually, that that's what the film is actually about. And she about. sought
1: out a way to control it and have she's power to, Yeah,
0: it. she's trying to control it, but she doesn't succeed because she can't, well first of all, she can't succeed because we, we, we live in a man's world. So she's not she's not going to succeed. She might cons- succeed with one man you know, here or one, you know, here just a little bit. But you know, so it shows how she doesn't succeed with each of these men because her project is impossible because men aren't gonna give up their power no matter what. Okay. They have no reason to.
1: Yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, it's a man's world and sometimes we just don't even think about it. Yeah, if sometimes you're on like the side of the other side of the coin.
0: Sometimes I have so much empathy that I try to really think about what it would be like if I was a man, and I try to think like how would I really feel and I, and I have all these really strange thoughts and I'm probably wrong because, of course, I'm not a man that I don't know. But I have these weird thoughts like, I know how I wouldn't feel. You know, I know I wouldn't feel so self-deprecating. I wouldn't feel so afraid to ask for things. And I think I might feel more confident, more um, swaggering. I, I might be like, an, I think I might be an asshole. I think if I was a man, I'd be an asshole. I think I'd be a womanizer. And I think I'd be a really, really assholey womanizer. And I think that um, I'd be much more of an asshole than a lot of the men that I know who are very sweet.
1: Well, we're all <laughs> we're all little insecure babies. <laughs> this is, is the fact of the matter. We hide it as best we can. But. No,
0: but I mean, if you have this power, you have this social power. I think I'm the kind of person who would use it. I would just use that power. I wouldn't. Right. I, wouldn't I mean, I just think that's my personality. I'd be one of these guys who would use that. I would love to do like. So, or maybe it's just because I'm projecting out my experience of how I've been treated. But I think that I would use, I would use that power to confuse and intimidate women. I think I would, because it would be fun. Because why not? If you can, because <laughs> <you know? laughs> I'm kind of perverted. I'm kind of a voyeur. I'm a little strange, and I think you know those qualities in my personality. If I was a man, would translate into this kind of um, manipulative you know like i would enjoy having that power and i think i would It use comes it. back
1: to haunt you though just like anything else.
0: Right. I mean right, but i'm just saying when you're a man i just realize if you're a man your struggle in life is to be good, is to be like a good person. Like you just want to you, you're always struggling against your evil side, right? And you're always trying to do the good thing, be the good guy, be But the that's good everybody. Guy. No, it isn't. Not you don't for think women. So? No, not for women. That's the thing. Do, do you realize that it's not the same for women? When you're <laughs> I mean, but
1: everyone has... I'm just saying everyone has a, a no, struggle, struggle with good and bad. I,
0: do, I don't have it. I don't have this. That's not my struggle.
1: <laughs> okay. I mean, I've definitely known some women that had to struggle with good and bad, for sure.
0: Oh, no, sure. Oh, sure. A different kind of woman. A woman who's in um, experiences a, a different kind of privilege than I have. What I'm saying is that... Um, or, or, or gives herself that privilege. But what I'm saying is that I think, for me at least, I'm the kind of person who... I have not had to struggle with good and evil in myself at all ever. I've just been I think I've just been almost like too good. What I struggle is with other, is with other people's evil. Mm. And I think that's it is the situation with a lot of women. And okay. I think it's and I don't know if I would say that that's innate in the character of a person as much as it is as it's socially programmed. So I don't think that's interesting. I think it's probably
1: a little bit of both.
0: Maybe it's a little bit of both, but I've never had that kind of I've never been, I'm never tempted to be cruel to people, as it is. I'm never, never tempted to, I mean, I'm almost never tempted to do anything that would ever hurt anybody else. Not
1: even some of the actors? Just kidding.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, especially not the actors. Okay. Especially not the actors. But, um, so, that could just be, I mean, again, I don't know whether that's a feminine thing, or this is my thing either. See, I, I... It's, you know, you don't know about other people, right? You you can just, you just know about yourself. But I have, so I have this, I guess, fantasy that if I was a man, I would suddenly be this, it would be different. I'd be flipped for me. And I think maybe it would be, though. Because I just think, like, okay, I've got a man's body, a man's hard body, a man's mind, a man's genitalia, whatever. Go out in the world and have my day. And it just seems like the most fun thing to possibly do would be to go like destroy a woman. <laughs> All right. Destroy her self-esteem, yeah. just destroy her, life, and you know get her to fall in love with you, and just then just annihilate her. It's just like how how fun would that be, you know?
1: All right. You know what I mean? Yes,
0: I, I just, do. Yeah, I see you do it's, know. It's happened. And you're the sweet guy, but you still know. Ah, just, you yeah. know what I mean?
1: We all have our moments.
0: No, but that's in a moment of deep empathy that I yeah. can even feel that. Do you know? Mm-hmm.
1: All right, well, this is ah, it has been a- totally interesting, and uh, I'm waiting already for the next film. Is it, you know, Crank her out. Let's do this one quick. <laughs> under three years. Think you could do it in under three years? I
0: think I might. Really, like I said, I might. Right. Yeah, I'd be doing very, very quickly.
1: All right, and it'll yeah. still be great. Yeah,
0: it'll, yeah. S- it'll be good. Go. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, I'm going to wrap it up. A- anything we forgot?
0: Uh, no. Go All see right. the Love Witch if you haven't seen you it. There
1: you go. See it right now. All right. Well, thanks very much, Anna. It was uh, delightful having you over here, and uh, we'll hope hopefully I have you back. Maybe we should have you on sometime with Robert. That could be uh, quite amusing.
0: Oh, okay. Well, maybe. All right. Okay.
1: We'll, we'll, we'll approach that in a few months. <laughs> All right, well, thanks very much.
0: Thank you for listening to The Toned Up Sessions, a feature of Rare Bird Radio. Our next conversation will feature Mike Stacks, publisher of Ugly Things Magazine, author of Swim Through the Darkness, co-author of Like, Misunderstood, and lead singer of The Loons.